The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio. We are glad you're with us today. I'm Reverend Dan Beckett here with co-host Reverend Michelle Vargas. Together, we share ways that spirituality and addiction recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your own recovery journey. And Facebook users, you can send us your questions and comments anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Just click the send message button right below the banner and be assured that your anonymity will always be respected. So please let us know what's on your mind. We'd love to hear from you. Today's show is titled Taking Action. If you want what we have, you have to do what we did. 12-step addiction recovery is a program of action based on spiritual principles. The ideas are nice, and anyone can read the steps and see perhaps that they, quote, make sense, but nothing happens if we don't take action. Today, we want to share our experience, strength, and hope on putting spiritual principles to work through a program of action, moving out of inertia, and the amazing changes that take place as a result. We wanna share with you what we were like before, what happened and what we are like now, along with a spiritual tool or principle that helped guide us through the tough times. We hope you will find something in our experience that will be helpful to you in your own recovery. So today we're gonna talk about moving from inertia to an amazing life through the uh, principle of this program of action. And I asked myself, um, thinking about taking action, how how did I lack that, right? How did I have inertia in my life? Um, Well, first thing that comes to mind is that I was not doing very well taking care of my health. Now, that's a funny thing to say, given how much I was drinking, it would be pretty clear to anybody. I was not doing a very good job taking care of my health. But even before that, you know, I'd smoked for many years and I, I, for whatever reason, I ended up uh, with the metabolism where until I was about 45, I could literally eat anything and everything that I wanted to without having to think twice about it. And so I ended up eating a lot of stuff and my diet was not healthy. That's where I'm going with all this. 
my diet was not healthy. I had been smoking. I had been uh, drinking way too much. Uh, didn't really exercise any to speak of. There was a period of time where I was doing some running. And during that time, I was in pretty good shape. But in general, I was not doing very well taking care of my health. And that was just due to inertia. You're, you're muted. I'm sorry. I am all disorganized today. I'm here now. Um, all right. Yeah. <laughs> I printed out the wrong thing, but I'm good now. I'm getting myself organized. Um, <clears throat> so I was thinking about inertia that, so we're talking about taking action. So inertia would be like not taking Lack action, of right? Action, right. Lack and I was thinking, well, action. I was always taking lots of action. I just wasn't taking divinely guided action. You know what I mean? I, I was, <clears throat> I was always out there doing lots of things and making lots of decisions. Um, it's just that there was no spiritual basis for any of it. So um, that's really, you know, that's really the biggest change for me is having a spiritual, having an overarching spiritual purpose to my life that informs the action I take so that I'm not just out there doing stuff because I feel like it, but living in a more purposeful way. The other thing is that um, my, I, I was not very self-aware you know I was not there wasn't a lot of aware I mean I was in my 20s who's self-aware in your 20s you know (laughs) I definitely was not very self-aware and was not um didn't have a lot of uh awareness or mindfulness around my life and my actions do you know what I'm saying like I kind of was just yeah I was just, you know, I was, I was drinking, I was just doing stuff. I just, you know, we've talked about this before. I would just find myself in situations like, how did I get here? There wasn't a lot of purposeful, mindful action. You know I mean? Lots of action, lots of activity, but not, not um, a lot of awareness around it is, I guess what I'm trying to say, if that makes sense. It does. You know, and I think just due to personalities, and we've talked about this before, you're a very action-oriented, extroverted person. I'm an introvert, very kind of idea-oriented. So for me, sitting around the house doing almost nothing, maybe a hobby, reading, watching TV, that that's, uh, I'm perfectly happy doing all of that. And so what it ended up looking like for me rather than me out doing a bunch of stuff that was not spiritually informed, I wasn't doing much of anything. You know, I would sort of do the minimum or I'm thinking about that, that movie frozen, that, that gigantic hit. And if you have kids of a certain age, I'm sorry for us all that about that song called. Things doesn't go away, does it? (laughs) And here I am talking about again. So the song, let it go, but I, I was dealing with it sort of different way. Like see if it goes away. (laughs) <laughs> do I do I really have to deal with this that or the other thing yeah uh, maybe if I don't do anything it'll go away so that kind of that's a way that inertia showed up is just literally like a lack of taking action yes R- regardless of whether I mean it, w- it would not have been spiritually informed anyway the time right. do. it's not like I did nothing you know the bills got paid and all that but you know if something wasn't urgent it was not going to get done. 
likely. So things deteriorated slowly. Here's a good example. We had a deck. I'm thinking of the house that we lived in when I got sober. We had a deck on the back and it was um, it was a wonderful deck and the boards were made out of that plasticky stuff that lasts a million years, but the railing was wood. So the railing really needed maintenance every few years. It should be washed and and then repainted or, or and I didn't I never did anything. We went to sell the house and all of a sudden I had to have a ridiculous amount of work done on that railing just to get it like passable. It was yeah. there were pieces that were rotting, yeah. you know, and from me from me doing nothing because it wasn't urgent. So that's a good example of something that's not urgent the electric bill got paid because that would quickly become a gigantic problem if it didn't yes yes so that was easy but you know maintaining the things that slowly deteriorate that I was not so good at you know we always we always kind of have a little laugh about how in this section of our show we are theoretically talking about the way things were the way things how we used to be right <laughs> and so yeah. the, the idea is that it's not like that anymore right and then we move into what happened how we are now but a lot, this is one of those cases where um i can still really get into that inertia and that procrastination a lot um and I, when you said that, you know, it's like the the electric bill always gets paid. Yes, I do manage to get the things done that are absolutely necessary. But there's a lot of times when, and, and it, and there's so many multiple factors that I think for me create this kind of procrastination. I think one of them is um, anxiety, low grade chronic depression, um, maybe even a little undiagnosed ADD you know, little uh, failing executive function, you know, where there's so much to do that I can't even figure out where to start. And so I just cannot start. Um, And so that, you know, I've, and I've caused myself some problems by doing that, you know, like paying my property bill two days late and paying a $75 fine on it. You know, it's like that. And that kind of thing drives me crazy about myself. So that's definitely an area that I'm still working on. You know, this this counselor that I'm working with uh, challenged me to um, when my bills came in to pay them immediately. You know, because I often don't. And it's not because I don't have the money. I just why pay it now when it can be paid later. Right. And then I end up causing myself trouble. And so my husband kind of reminded me the other day that I'm, well, he didn't say it like this, but I'm failing miserably at this task I was given because here's these bills sitting there that are like almost overdue. And it's just taking the time to sit down and and do it, you know? So I'm not doing very well on that assignment. And this is definitely an area of growth for me. But I think that I also need to look at like what is going on behind it because I'm not an irresponsible person. So if I'm doing this, there's some, I think it's kind of a chronic overwhelm of just like, there's so many other things that need my attention and um, the things that are challenging or uh, feel threatening to me. I just would rather not look at them, you know, and, and then it could be a self-sabotaging piece too, because what's that about? Like, like why, when I could just pay the darn thing and not have to pay a fine, but I'll pay it like a a day late and incur the fine. Like that doesn't make sense. So I'm not, this is definitely an area of growth for me, the whole procrastination, uh, just letting things go kind of thing. And I'm glad that you're mentioning that because we do say it often. And I think we need to say it every time because I never want to imply that I'm somehow 
completely rid of you know something that might have been <laughs> a much bigger problem before like yeah. so if you here's what i'm thinking as you describe that like i have some of that in my own life if you add the amount that i was drinking on top of that yeah that becomes a really big problem yeah so you take the alcohol away and as you are sharing now what sh- what rises to the top is an opportunity yeah. right an awareness of these things yes that the alcohol just sort of helped blur and hide it and keep it entrenched but what i'm hearing you describe and i can identify with it is um seeing things happen like yeah why am i doing that why am i not taking care of this what you know what am i am i concerned about something you know we can could be a lot of things going on as as you've shared and i i also have that kind of low grade ADD, a little bit of um, depression, anxiety, but that is tremendously relieved for me. It's it's not mm. a it's not a factor in my life, uh, but it's not completely absent. You know, it'll circle back around. Like, okay, you're right. I know this feeling, but what I also know is that this is like it's like the weather. You know, it, I didn't do anything wrong. There's no problem. I'm just feeling, you know, quote, down today, which means low energy, which means I don't really feel like doing much. So what? So what? I can do on a different day. Now, if that happens five out of seven days, then that might be a problem. But for me, you know, we're talking about one out of one day every two weeks, maybe uh, that something like that. And something is always going on. You know, something has impacted me. Yeah. But I can live with it. But you pour as much alcohol as I was drinking before on top of all of that. There's no way I can right. I can address it. Yep. Yeah, the alcohol sort of gives us an excuse to just not deal with it at all. I think yeah, right. awareness is such a big part of any kind of changing behavior, you know, and it can be an uncomfortable step in the process when we're aware of what we're doing, but we haven't shifted it yet. <laughs> And sometimes I've, you know, in certain things, I spend quite a lot of time in that phase, you know, years, even years and years um, where I've, yeah. you know, become aware of a certain behavior, but it hasn't shifted yet. And that's okay. You know, if we're still here, it's because we still have work to do. So as we love to say in 12 step program, we are not saints, right? right. We still, you know, I love that. I, I love it when people used to say that in meetings and sometimes the old timers would kind of all chime in and say it together. We are not saints. And it's like, yeah, thank God. You know, we don't right. have to be perfect. We're, we're, we're on a, a journey. Progress, not perfection. Exactly. Is that has been very helpful to me. Yes. Because like many of us, I suppose, you know, when I can conceive of an ideal state, all of a sudden it's like all this comparison. Why am I not there? Blah, blah, blah. That doesn't help me or anybody. Yeah. This is about progress, not about perfection. So, yeah, I'm really glad that you brought that up because I have that and I'm guessing that folks who are listening to us probably have that too and we can say look you can lead a wonderful sober life guided by the spirit and growing and still be experiencing these things so what that can be part of it that's fine well we've talked a lot here about this challenge of inertia but it's time to move out of the problem and into the solution so what is the solution well In unity, as always, we affirm that all of life is governed by spiritual principles. 
Yes, and Unity's five basic principles are guides for our spiritual growth, and they include both the inner work that we do, as well as outer work of actually taking action. They cover our true nature as expressions of God, our prayer and co-creation practices, as well as taking action. In fact, Unity's fifth principle states that it's not enough to know these truths, meaning the first four, it's not enough to know them, we must live them. And that means taking action, and to me, in service to the world. Mm -hmm. You know, through my 12-step lens, in fact, in church, I always add, through loving service to the world, I could say through selfless service to the world. Um, And that is something that we practice in 12-step. And that's what we want to focus on today, uh, living the principle by taking action. But How do I know when to take action or how do I know what action to take? These are the questions that come to mind for me. What do you think? Oh, my goodness. Okay, this is a really big question. But, you know, uh, assuming there could be folks listening to us that are fairly new in recovery, I mean, kind of the things we always talk about our our little litany that we recite, you know, go to meetings, get a sponsor, work the steps. So um, that's the basics, right? Like if a person is in early recovery, that's where the focus should be. Um, Go to meetings, just start with that, you know, find someone that you think has something you want, and that you think you might be comfortable working with, get a sponsor. And then um, under the guidance of that sponsor, begin working the steps. But, um, and some of the steps are pretty complicated and require quite a lot of work. But the first steps are, are, you know, you know, we, we are constantly engaged in them, constantly engaged in uh, acknowledging our powerlessness over our addiction, in coming to believe that a power greater than ourselves could help us in some way, and then um, turning our lives over to that power. So that's the, the first three steps are we're kind of constantly engaged with those over and over. So even if we haven't gotten into the more nitty gritty steps, we are always working the steps when we are doing those three things, right? Um, I think that another really good thing, if um, if possible, is to join a spiritual community. You know, that helped my recovery tremendously because the tw- maybe because I didn't already have one. Now, some people might already have a yeah. church or you know belong to something, yeah, but I yeah, and so I didn't, and so like the 12 step program was opening up all these spiritual concepts for me and I needed a place to go with them. You know, I needed more, I needed more information and more expansion of those ideas. I needed, I needed a, uh, a framework that could support my growth in those areas because I didn't, you know, it's not good to just be sort of floating out there, figuring out spiritual things on your own. It's good to have some sort of a container, you know, um, if possible, if you can find one. And of course, unity churches are all over the place and are, I found to be very compatible with um, the 12 step program. So I think that those are some really big actions that people can take right away, you know, going, getting, getting up and suiting up and showing up at a meeting is probably the most basic action that we can do in recovery. And that's whether you have one day or 20 years, you know, Um, that's always an action that we can take on our own behalf that's going to not only benefit us in some way, regardless of whether it was a quote, good meeting or not, you know, every meeting has something for us, but um, our showing up and 
and um, ha- you know, occupying that seat is also going to help someone else. That's the beauty of the program. So um, that's a good place to start. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on on all the above. And when I think about, you know, we talk about our program as a program of action, right? So we're we're talking about now. What does that mean? You know, what does the program of action mean to me? And I also find my you know, primary, maybe even everything I need to know about that is contained in the steps. Um, And I'm thinking first of the first three steps, which I kind of um, can group together in my head. And I call those the give it up steps, right? It's over. Okay. It's not working. This uh, drinking to drinking more to solve a drinking problem uh, is not working. It's time to give it up to try something else. And the first three steps are all about giving it up. And so that is an action that I need to take. You know, it's, it sounds like an, it's an abstract sort of thing, which implies like I could just sit in a chair and do it in my head. I don't think so. Mm-mm. You know, in order to give it up, as I, I think the first three steps are uh, showing us how to do, I had to start like you just said, I had to start showing up, being willing to be in community, being yeah. willing to share if I felt guided to. You know, nobody has to share right. at a meeting, which is one thing I really love about the 12 step culture. Um, but when I become willing to share, I can and do, and that becomes part of my action. And, mm-hmm. you know, we talk about the meeting before the meeting out in right. the parking lot and the meeting after the meeting out in the parking lot or maybe you know some of us for a while we're going to waffle house a few you know a few of us newer guys and a couple of old timers meaning people with 20 plus yeah. years and i really enjoyed those times just you know being together with and being in conversation and being in community with other people uh, was super helpful to me yeah and the you know i talked about ironically so I smoked for years, but then I quit. What well, you know, before long before I got sober, I quit smoking. Well, when I got sober, I started smoking again. Yeah. And I'm telling you, I smoked for eight years sober before I could drop that. And people told me, don't worry about that. You know, yeah. you'll quit when you're ready. Man, were they right? Yeah. So if you're listening to me and you're smoking and feeling guilty about or eating too much candy or whatever, don't worry about it, man. Right. If you're sober, you win right? Yes. Nothing else matters. All the rest of that stuff will come in time. You don't have to worry about it. And dang, it took me a long time to walk away from smoking. And I'm still yeah. mad about it. You know, my health is, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I can tell by the way you're laughing. Um, yeah, I quit smoking like, I don't know, man, three and a half years ago, and I'm still mad about it. But I know I could start if I want to. It's my choice. No one's making me not smoke. I could. But man, what a bad idea. I can tell you, I have, I've been yeah. on that uh, merry-go-round enough times to know where it's going. I don't smoke yeah. a cigarette. That's not how it works. Yeah, I mean, no. This, this alcoholic. We smoke all the cigarettes. <laughs> Yeah, right. I'm going to be right back where I was after a, a couple of months of dabbling. But anyway, yeah, uh, action, you know, give it up, give it up, work the steps. That's the broad thing I'm saying and become part of a community. That, yeah. That's how I learned all of this. 
Yeah, as you're sharing, I was thinking, you know, no one on this planet is having more fun than a group of alcoholics at Waffle House after a meeting. No sober, one. Sober, I know. Yeah. Absolutely. No one is having more fun than that. I mean, like, like throw us out of there. We're having so much fun, kind of, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, the meeting after the meeting. And we're not um, going to get arrested on the way home because we're sober. Exactly. Although you may get pulled over. I've been pulled over before and apparently I was weaving. I was like, yeah, I got about 15 years of sobriety. So I'm thinking I wasn't (laughs) weaving, but okay. Thanks for pulling me over. You never know. I had a friend that used to carry around IBC root beer because it looked like a beer bottle. He just wanted to be pulled over sober. He just desperately wanted one time. dare you breathalyze me. You're like, look at me. I'm drinking from a dark brown bottle. Pull me over. Oh my goodness. Yes. So uh, you call them the give it up steps. I'm thinking they're surrender steps, right? That's what give it up is, surrender yeah, steps. Yeah, right. That's a very good word for it. Yeah. And it's a really good place to start. And, you know, my personal feeling is like, take all the time that you need to work through the steps. That's my personal um, approach. And of course, one you know, follows the guidance of their sponsor, but this is not a race to the finish. And in my personal opinion, there's nothing to be benefited from rushing through the steps, except that you'll end up having to go back and do them over again anyway. So um, taking our time working through the steps, because I mean, the first year of sobriety, come on, you're just like getting your head screwed on straight, you know, you don't even know what's happening or where you're at. And, and the first three steps are big and should not be rushed through. Otherwise they won't be, they won't be real. They won't be thorough. They won't be genuine. And so um, even if we spend our whole first year in those um, three surrender steps, you know, um, surrender is really important. And the extent to which we surrender, not only our active addiction, our substance of choice, whatever it is, but our, our whole lives over to the God of our understanding, the extent to which we do that surrender is the extent to which God can begin to really work in our lives. So it behooves us to, um, to not, not rush through those steps thinking that we need to get to the so-called action steps. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And, and seriously, in your first year, how do you even know what to put in your fourth step? Like, it took me a long time before I even knew. I mean, anybody can sit there and write down a bunch of bad stuff they did, right? We can all do that. But um, that wasn't going to help me. You know, what I needed was to really understand myself, to really understand what was going on in me, what was motivating me, what was causing me to do these behaviors. Um, you know, I... I spent years doing that. So um, taking our time moving through those steps, because there's a lot there. Yeah, I'm going to share the other side of it just in case, because there's a couple ways to do everything. Another way I've seen that can be helpful is move through them at a decent pace, but you're not going to do it all. You're going to, you know, just just to sort of get a ground, you know, a, a foundation laid. And then, of course, like you just said, you're going to go back through You're and that's go how back. this works. But let's yep. hold that thought because it's time for a short break. And when we come back, we will continue the conversation. So please stay with us.
We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. Yes, welcome back. We are glad that you're with us today. If you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Dan Beckett here with co-host Reverend Michelle Vargas. We will resume our discussion in a moment, but first we want to remind you that you can send us your questions and feedback anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Message us from there and let us know what's on your mind. Prior to the break, we were discussing inertia that theoretically was early in our recovery and doesn't happen anymore, but then we fessed up that sometimes we still can get into that kind of inertia and procrastination. And then we moved into the antidote to that, which is a program of action. So let's talk now about how a program of action has helped us to move from that inertia into what we claim is an amazing life. You know, then there are two things that come to mind for me around that. One is all the energy that I recovered when I quit drinking, all the energy that went into drinking, that went into recovering from drinking um, was a very, I'll just say a very large amount. And I was unaware of it. But when I got sober, all of a sudden I had all this loose energy that I wasn't used to having available and so one of the answers for me is how, how did the program of action help me move from inertia to an amazing life is that I recovered a bunch of energy to do what? Take care of business, mm. to do things that were not getting done, like I shared before, to be uh, willing to, instead of, you know, sweeping something under the rug, so to speak, to actually deal with it head on mm. instead and when I am, am willing to do those things, and I'm generally good about that in my life, certainly I have some you know projects that are on hold, but it's not causing me trouble. It's more like hobbies, you know, it's, it's, it's for me anyway, so it's not causing trouble for me to not get to them. But when I'm willing to take care of things that need taken care of, you know, pay the tax on the car so I can get the next year's sticker anytime <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. Um, my life is a lot easier. Although uh, I did do that recently, had a couple new stickers and one of them sat here in my office way, we were driving an illegal car because <laughs> I could not manage to get it from in front of me in my office to the car in the driveway, which is not that far away. But when I'm in here and I see it, I'm doing other stuff. When I stand up and walk away, it's like out of mind. So Anyway, yeah, uh, I confess that I stuck. I had the sticker, but I stuck it on there a good week late. So kind of missed that one. I'm glad you confessed to that because um, I do so many things like that. And you'd think that little sticker weighed a thousand pounds, right? For me, it's not just, I mean, first of all, there's the out of mind, but then there's also when I look at something that needs to be done, it feels like this huge weight, like, oh my God, you know, I cannot, I can't. I see that thing over there that I know I need to take care of, but I cannot deal with it. And so I just like look away. I think all of these things basically fall under adulting. <laughs> and let's face it, adulting is hard. Yeah. I mean, it just is, you know, I think it's hard for everyone. It's, uh, it's not just us, you know, that it's 
part of just our lives are so complicated and there's so much that needs to be done at any given time. There's a list a mile long and, and it's hard, you know, there's a, there's, you know, I would rather be doing something else. I'd rather be working out or I'd rather be reading a book or walking my dog than dealing with those things that are sitting on my desk, which is why my office looks like this. You can see behind me, the total disaster. There's just other things I'd rather do than clean my office. You know, adulting is hard. But uh, you were talking about the recovered energy, you know, that's not spent in drinking. I was thinking, I was just thinking about the energy I recovered from not having to make the daily decision of whether to drink beer or wine. (laughs) Man, that was a big decision, you know, because I could never mix the two. If I did, it never, never ended up well. And so, yeah, so just, you know all that energy that had gone into maintaining that lifestyle. I also experienced a lot of freed up energy that I could then use to try new things. You know, I remember taking up rollerblading and like, Oh wow. You know, I was in my late twenties, mid twenties and just discovering this new sport. And I, you know, like a good alcoholic, I wanted to do it every single day and do it for hours and hours every day. But there was definitely a lot of freed up energy. And um, I realized how many things I had not tried out or not pursued because my life was so structured around um, drinking. So, yes, there's a lot of energy that gets freed up when we um, stop engaging in our active addiction. And it can be channeled into lots of other things, not just getting things done, but doing lots of fun things, you know. Yeah. The second way that I jotted down was, so this recovered energy helped me just to be like, be more present around friends and family and less withdrawn. I mean, and again, you and I are from a different mold in that I'm an introvert. And so, you know, kind of being quiet or withdrawn is natural for me, but you, you know, put a bunch of alcohol on it, it can, you know, kind of get even more so. So I'm not, you know, I'm not available because I'm occupied with this alcohol soaked mind you know kind of seeing everything through that and I don't know what this looked like from the outside I don't really care what it looked like from the outside what it looked like from the inside is I was more concerned about uh, drinking and being insulated than I was about making connections with the people around me that I care yes. about yeah. and so this increased energy helped me I would just say do better I'm not even going to try and attempt to define better but just do better uh, showing up for others family and friends. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when we first have that experience, that freed up energy, a lot of that energy can be channeled into creating what's really a new life for ourselves. Right. And so we've got to create new, um, new habits, new, uh, support structures for ourselves, you know, new, new friend groups, new, um, you know, maybe a new spiritual community. We've got, we're basically redesigning our lives. And so um, we're learning to make choices each and every day that support our recovery rather than, you know, rather than uh, choices that are not good for us. So even just every day, you know, waking up, suiting up and showing up and making good choices for ourselves is a really important part of the action that we take, you know, and choosing to be active participants on a daily basis in our own recovery. Like we don't, we don't just, I mean, there's action that needs to be taken. You know, we've got to act proactively on our own behalf on a daily basis. 
um, whether that just means I take time today for prayer and meditation, I take time to go to a meeting, I take time to uh, read a devotional or do something spiritual to feed myself spiritually. Um, we, we start, you know, our days start to be filled with taking those positive actions on our own behalf. And then once we sort of gotten ourselves you know, a little more functional, then we want to start taking actions that benefit others too. But the great thing about recovery is that those end up being some of the same things, right? When I take an action on my own behalf, it also benefits others. It also benefits those around me. And that's the way the program works. When I show up to a meeting, I might think I'm showing up to the meeting because I need to be spiritually filled or whatever, but we just don't know. Something I said is going to help somebody else. And that's just the the beautiful, wonderful way that it works. And as we heal ourselves and heal our own sometimes generational wounds, um, I saw this thing the other day. It said something about on Facebook, you know, that when you when you do the work to heal yourself, you are it's not just isolated. You are actually healing ancestral wounds, you know, family wounds, things that go back generations. You're doing the work that your mother couldn't do for herself, that your grandmother couldn't do for herself. Um, And these things go out and they reverberate in the universe and they, they benefit all of us. So it's not an isolated thing. When we do the work to heal any of our own wounds, we are benefiting all of humanity. And I don't mean that in a woo woo way. I mean that for real. It's really a real thing. Right, in a demonstrable uh, manner, like you say, not in the abstract, not 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 only spiritually, but you know, psychologically in the world around us. Absolutely, mm-hmm. you know, I'm um, I'm I'm remembering a piece of wisdom about um, taking action uh, in the form of going to a meeting. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it, I I've heard it said many times, and I I would repeat this that. Um, you know, if you're not sure about anything else, just go to a meeting, you know, you can always be sure that that's the right thing to do. Yep. And especially early on, you know, the advice is go to a meeting every day, Mm -hmm. unless you're really busy, or you really don't feel like going, then go to two meetings that day. Right. That's how important it is. And I love that um, way of presenting it, because it really emphasizes how important it is and it can it can be easy to slip out of the habit like oh i got too much going on today forgetting that for me uh, especially early on going to meetings was a foundational practice for all the rest of it if i were to let that slide then everything is going to go sliding after it so a program of action the action is going to meetings how how does that help me uh, in many of the same ways you just mentioned, it helps me. I've never left a meeting feeling down. Right. Right. I, I just haven't. I've always felt for whatever reason, maybe because of something I shared and I felt like I got heard or maybe something I heard or maybe just looking around realizing that, wow, look at all of us and all this great work that we're doing here together. It's wonderful to be in this community whatever there are many reasons that i might walk out sort of uplifted but i i i seriously can't remember a movie a meeting that i didn't walk out of uplifted is always a good idea and if i'm willing to repeat that then 
you know, you have an uplifting experience with a community every single day. Yeah. I, I, I say an amazing life is, is, is growing out of that. Yes. Being born in that. You can't go wrong. Just go to a meeting and, yep. and don't quit before the miracle, like we say, or the next miracle, because there's more than one. Yeah, it really is true. You know, we have this saying about how the wisdom or the recovery seeps up through the through the seats, you know, and is yeah. sort of absorbed. What do you have? Oh, osmosis. That's what you called it. Right. <laughs> it does. It's true. And so, you know, if you try to sit there and think, well, I didn't get anything out of that meeting. I mean, you did, you know, and over time you see that there's the cumulative effect of all of these things that we get out of so many meetings um, that they just they just become part of our new way of seeing the world and this new way of being that we're trying to learn. So the more time that we spend in those seats, you know, engaged in the osmosis, <laughs> the more recovery we're going to get. It really does just sort of seep up. And, and, and also, like I said, you know, sometimes we think, oh, I don't want to go to a meeting or, oh, I don't need it today. But always remembering that you being in that chair is helping somebody else too, because there was somebody that was in that chair when you came and you needed it. And so even if we think we're not going to get anything out of that meeting that day, um, somebody else is going to get something from something we shared and we may not even realize it, but it's just the way that it works, you know, and meetings are just such an amazing thing. They're so uh, rich and raw, like where else can you go where people are just telling it like it is, like just really being authentic. And that's, that's how we learn to be authentic, right? We watch yes. other people being authentic exactly. and it gives us permission to slowly peel away all those layers of who we thought we had to be and who we thought we had to show the world that we were. And we're just peeling away those layers and becoming more and more courageous to step into more and more of our own authentic selves as we watch others doing it. And, you know, in a meeting, people can be crying one minute and then laughing hysterically the next. They're just so rich because they're so real and authentic. And that's that's how life is. You know, life is sort of all over the place. And it's really where we learn how to live and how to be real. So never wasting our time showing up at a meeting. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, something else that comes to mind as I think about how how does this program of action help me move out of inertia and into amazing life? So <laughs> this is also kind of under the banner of spiritual principles. <laughs> it gave me some sense of a path forward, mm -hmm. right? Some, some, I mean, being sober quickly, I came to understand was a good, um, you know, direction, I'll say, but spiritual principle and, sh and and learning from a community and showing up gave me some sense of like what to do uh -huh. if it's uh, for example a prayer practice yes you know, or, or learning to do what we call turning within or checking our guidance or what have you you know learning some tools that give me some sense of what to do moving forward so I feel all of a sudden like oh, I, I'm on a path here. This matters. This is going somewhere. I don't know where. I don't need to know where. But I know from hanging around with all these other people who are doing this, that this is a good way forward. And I, and I you know, consider that to be a, a lesson, if you will, of a spiritual principle that gives me a sense of 
a way forward and knowing what to do. And that Mm -hmm. meant a lot to me, especially early on. Yeah, absolutely. One of the most important actions we can take on our own behalf is to develop some sort of a spiritual practice, right? And it does not have to be complicated. It could be just setting aside five or 10 minutes each day to spend in quiet or in prayer or both, um, reading a devotional, you know, sitting out in nature, whatever it is. I mean, I know in early sobriety, I used a lot of rote prayers because prayer was new to me. And I really liked the third step prayer a lot. There's a lot there, Um, you know, and, and so just taking that, setting that time aside each day to be engaged in our own spiritual growth in some way, whatever that looks like. Um, And then, you know, as we, well, for me, the way it happened was I, I realized how much that helped me, how turning things over in prayer to the God of my understanding helped me know what action I needed to take next. Right. And so I started living my life that way, that rather than just like I talked in the beginning about how I had a lot of action, it just wasn't divinely guided. I was out there doing lots of things. So once I kind of got this idea of the third step of turning my will and my very life over to the care of this God of my own understanding, um, I began to use that with everything. So everything I needed to decide, you know, should I go here? Should I go there? Should I take this job? Should I take that job? Should I date this person or date that person? I mean, I started to apply prayer and turning things over, um, that surrender that you talked about, I started to apply that in everything. And so when I took an action, at the very least, I had done my sort of due diligence, right? I had taken the time to, to the best of my ability, turn it over and, and, you know, start to begin to learn what it felt like to be divinely guided in my actions rather than just taking the action Michelle wanted to. And and that takes a lot of time. And I mean, this is a lifelong process. How do I know when I'm taking an action because I want to or because I'm being divinely guided? That's There's no answer to that except that you just have to learn it on your own. We learn, we learn spiritual discernment. We learn what it feels like to take actions that we, we feel are being divinely guided. We, we develop that intuition, that inner knowing, that inner nudging that starts to tell us, you know, go here, do this, you know. Um, that's just something that takes time to develop. Yeah, that's been my experience, absolutely. It, it, you can't put it under a microscope and pick it apart and try and figure out, is it working? Is not. We just have to keep doing it. Yep. And you learn it, like you said, by feel. Yeah. Right. And even if I'm, if I get it wrong, sometimes, okay, that's fine. Uh, If I continue on with the practice, it will become clear. You know, I will get better at it as I go. It's no problem if I don't um, get it quote right. In fact, I don't even like to think of it in those terms, getting it right. There is no right. No, there is no wrong. Yeah. Uh, I do yep. know, though, if I if if I if the, if the brilliant idea of tithing to myself occurs to me, <laughs> that might that might be my ego, not my, the, my divine guidance. Right. But what if I'm really inspiring to myself? <laughs> <laughs> um, another thing I file under spiritual principles, just like we started off early in the show, service to others. Service to others, uh, both in specific terms, like in a home group, 
And the example we always use is making the coffee because that's something anyone can do. Or after a while, once, you know, you've developed some trust, maybe you have a key to the room and you can open the room ahead of time and be the one that, you know, turns the heat up. And in, in my home group, that was a thing in the winter. As you go in, turn the heat up, turn the lights on, um, get the coffee started and all that. But I can also be of service to others just in general. Yes. So the example I'm going to use is with my wife, who's, uh, so you, you recall the love languages, right? There are five, yeah. there are five love languages. Anyway, her love languages are um, quality time and acts of service. So built in right there, because one of her love languages and acts of service is a great opportunity for me to learn to say things like or ask, is there anything I can help you with? right now or do you need any help with what you're doing that means a lot to her now that's that's i'm not wired that way you know i'm wired to sort of maximum efficiency right i'm not lazy i'm efficient maximum efficiency says don't do stuff you don't have to do so it's taken me a while to really embrace the spiritual principle of service to others so that i can um, show up in a way better for her now she and i've been married 25 years this is not a new thing but there's continual new opportunities for me to see uh, more deeply in it and to show up, you know, even more willing um, to do stuff. So service to others in general as a spiritual principle, which can begin in my home group, but can extend to every part of my life, just generally looking to be helpful in the world, not for personal gain. My love languages all involve Mexican food. So, you know, <laughs> tacos and enchiladas. It's of service. Here's a burrito, you know, <laughs> receiving <laughs> gifts. Here's a burrito. <laughs> Quality time together. Let's go eat burritos together. I mean, yeah, it all comes right. down to like that's, that. that's, that's, you know, love. I understand right there. <laughs> Well, we've said a whole lot about this, and it's time to shift gears and step way back, if we can, to find a concise way to sum it up, or uh, we like that idea at least. So, Reverend Michelle, in a nutshell, someone came to you, and as the gambler famously said, right, how do we, quote, know when to hold them and know when to fold them, or when to turn it over to God versus when to take action, how, how would you, uh, what could you offer somebody on that? Yeah, so the truth is we never really do know for sure when to hold them and when to fold them. So we take that action of turning it over, whether that's getting on our knees and saying the third step prayer or however it is that we practice that action of surrender. It's turning things over to the best of our ability and then doing the next right indicated thing. So we don't know for sure, you know, is this the right thing? Is this God's nudging? We don't know. We practice doing it. We practice turning it over. We practice um, seeking guidance, seeking that inner guidance, and then taking action. And like I talked about before, slowly over time, we learn what that feels like. And we learn to discern better whether this is an action that's being divinely guided or not. We just have to practice doing it. That's really the entirety of my answer is practice. And I'm sitting here thinking about, I've taken up disc golf again. I played disc golf. I learned it in Santa Cruz out near where you live. But I've been playing disc golf. And when I play disc golf, you know, the idea is that you stand and you throw the disc uh, frisbee thing 
to the basket, right? Well, sometimes it goes flying off to the right. With I didn't. That's not where I wanted it to go. Sometimes it goes <laughs> flying to the left. So what? Okay, I don't just pack it up and go home because right. I quote did it wrong. Yeah. What what I do is I walk to wherever I threw the disc and then I throw it from there. Yeah. Repeat. Yeah. Okay. That's all there is to it. If I want to, I can go around beating myself up constantly about how I'm doing or what have you. But that's that that's is not, not in the spirit of recovery. That's not helpful to me at all. What I do instead is like, oh, you know, it went over there or darn or that's annoying. Take a deep breath, get over it, walk over the disc and throw it again. Or my favorite, throw it and hit the tree that's 10 feet in front of me. Like really hard. As long <laughs> you as know. you don't throw it and hit your wife. <laughs> right. I'm like, does this plastic stick to this tree? Because it seems <laughs> like it's a tree magnet. It just like goes right to the tree. Oh, goodness. Well, we have an affirmation for you today that uh, can be used to practice these things. And our affirmation is this. In times of prayer and meditation, I seek divine guidance and I am guided to what is mine to do. And once again, in times of prayer and meditation, I seek divine wisdom and I am guided what is mine to do. And as we say, and I do it. Yes. Right. Well, theoretically. <laughs> move on from there. Right. That's I guess that's a whole other show. We could talk about that. Well, it's happened again. You've given yourself the gift of another hour listening to Spirit of Recovery, and we're grateful that you have. We genuinely hope that you have found something in all of our yapping today that would be helpful to you in your own recovering. Thank you, Reverend Michelle, as always, for our fun discussion. And thanks to all who are listening to the podcast via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. We bless you all wherever you may be on your own recovery journey. Yes, we do. And listeners, if you'd like, you can always connect with us throughout the week on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Drop us your thoughts and comments. We'd be happy to hear from you. And as always, we invite you to join us next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. And until then... Do not drink like my co-host. And whatever you do, don't drink like my co-host. Instead, have a wonder-filled week. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio the voice of an awakening world. Intuition is our spiritual GPS and the single best tool that we have for navigating our lives. I'm Victoria Shaw, and on my Intuitive Connection podcast, I will share with you the ways to connect with your intuition and awaken the gifts of your soul. In each episode, I'll draw on my own intuitive gifts and my training as an Ivy League trained counselor and psychologist to help support you in reaching your highest potential. Start listening now on Mind Body Spirit FM Podcast Network or wherever you find your podcasts.